Welcome to day 102 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are 1 Kings chapter 7 through 9 and Psalm 43. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. The psalm for today, Psalm 43, is a brief prayer asking God to bring the psalmist to the altar of the Lord on the holy mountain so that the one praying can receive light and instruction. That altar on the mountain of the Lord is the one that we will see established and dedicated in these chapters from 1 Kings today. Chapter 7 focuses primarily on the details of the courtyard surrounding the temple. Most impressive is the basin called the sea, which was held up by 12 bronze bulls. The items described imply that provision was being made for rituals of purification and sacrifice to take place regularly. Perhaps the most intriguing part of the chapter is its opening. In the last chapter, readers were told that it took seven years to build the temple, but here the reader is informed that it took 13 years for Solomon to build his own house. The temple was 2,700 square feet, but Solomon's house was more than four times that size at 11,250 square feet. One of the commands in Deuteronomy 17 was that the king not elevate himself above the people. It not only appears that Solomon is beginning to elevate himself above his citizens, but maybe even elevating himself above God. Chapter 8 is the beautiful and lengthy dedication of the temple. The ark is brought up and ultimately placed in the temple. The glory of God visible in the cloud in the wilderness reappears and fills the holy place. Notice in the prayer that Solomon recognizes that Yahweh's covenant commitment is to a relationship and not to a particular place. As great as Jerusalem is, and as ornate as the temple may be, God's primary concern is to dwell among an obedient people. The heavens cannot contain God's presence, and so the people must remember that God transcends even this holy building. Solomon's prayer names seven different circumstances where he implores God to hear the prayers of the people. I find the fifth example in verse 41 especially significant. Solomon prays, Listen also to the immigrant who isn't from your people, Israel, but who comes from a distant country because of your reputation. Later in the Gospels, when Jesus cleanses the second temple, the one constructed by Herod, he will remind the people that the Lord's house was to be a house of prayer for all nations. The hope that the temple would be the place where heaven and earth would connect and all people would be drawn to the light of the Lord, that's already being imagined here in Solomon's prayer of dedication. The other circumstance worth paying special attention to is the last of the seven in verse 46 and following. This section may be a later addition to the text because it seems to clearly have the future Babylonian exile in view. There's a hope in the text that even if the story goes the way we already know it's going to go, that God will not let the sin of the people have the last word, that even if the story heads to exile, God has the ability to hear their cries of repentance and bring the people back. The dedication ends with a reaffirmation of the people's covenant with God and with a great communal celebration. Chapter 9 serves as a hinge in the story, moving readers from the very positive stories of Solomon into the more prophetic and critical narratives. Twenty years after his first encounter with God, when he was young and needed wisdom, now God appears to him again in the middle of his reign. God grants Solomon's request to uniquely bless Jerusalem and the temple Solomon has built. If Solomon and his descendants follow the Lord's ways, God will be present to the temple and he will guard the lineage of David's throne. But if they turn away, disaster will strike. 
In words that are reminiscent of Jesus' condemnation of the temple, where he says not one stone will be left upon another, the Lord declares that if the Israelites turn away from the Lord's ways, the temple, which is now the source of pride and admiration, will someday become a source of scorn and a reminder for all the people of God's judgment. This all seems great, but the second half of the chapter moves the story into the shadow sides of Solomon. As his power increases, he not only expands his territory, but he begins to enslave foreign laborers. Notice the frequent mentions of Pharaoh's daughter, the building of cities, and even the development of storage cities in the text. Again, the one who was called to shepherd Israel like his father David had done is now beginning to look more and more like a new Pharaoh. When we were in the Exodus narratives, I made the comment that the point of the book of Exodus was not just to get Israel out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of them. Now, in this chapter of 1 Kings, and in the chapters to come tomorrow, it appears the narrator wants us to see that Solomon is putting Egypt right back into the imaginations of the people. Great lives and ministries are usually not brought down in an instant, but through a whole series of small choices that lead to destruction. In these texts today, we begin to see the seas of Solomon's, and thus Jerusalem's, demise, here but also in the chapters to come. So read these chapters carefully, looking for things you've never seen before, journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions, and keep coming to the Lord's altar for light and instruction. Our readings for tomorrow are 1 Kings chapters 10-12. through 12. I'll talk to you tomorrow.